Hello, and welcome to the Crossroads Podcast, the show where Mark Meckler and Rita Peters discuss hot-button issues from a biblical perspective, helping to equip other Christians to bring light to a darkened culture. Rita is the Senior Vice President of Legislative Affairs, and Mark serves as the CEO and co-founder for Convention of States Action. Find out more by visiting conventionofstates.com slash pod. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. I'm your host, Rita Peters, along with my co-host, Mark Meckler. And Mark, we've got another Election Day coming up next week, right? We do. I'm always excited about Election Day. You know, you hear, Rita, every time there's an election, they say, this is the most important election of our lifetimes. (laughs) And we laugh about that, but I actually think it's always true. This is not unique to any particular cycle. Voting uh, is so critical. Participating in the process is so critical. The framers believe this. The founders believe this. And every time that you vote, it determines what's going to happen in your local state and state government, potentially the federal government, depending on the cycle. And so I just think it is always the most important election of your lifetime. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, this upcoming election is super important in its own right. But it's also important as, you know, part of the lead up to next year's big election, right? So today we're going to talk about all things election related. And to help us do that, we've brought back our good friend, Rick Santorum. I would say he's an expert on this subject. He served in the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives and made a strong bid for the Republican Party's presidential nomination back in 2016. Rick Santorum, welcome back to the program. Good to be with you guys and talking about one of my favorite subjects. (laughs) Now, gentlemen, I'm calling this program a voting primer because I want to talk about some of the nuts and bolts of elections, as well as some of the more general questions about why voting is important, why Election Day matters. But I want to start with something even grander than that, if you will. This is a program about the intersection of faith and culture. A little bit later, I'm going to ask you about how our faith should inform the way we vote. But for now, I want to ask you, why should our faith compel us to make sure we get to the ballot box at all? Um, Rick, I'll let you go first on this one. Well, I think... You know, going back to Mark's point about this being the most important election, I mean, if you look at what's happening in this country uh, with the growing hostility to people of faith, uh, biblical faith, uh, the Jew- Jews and Christians sp- specifically, um, that these rights that we think are safe and protected and and will never go away, obviously, you go out throughout history, they they are rare and they go away quickly. Uh, we are a, a unusual in, in, in the respect of even if you look at the world today, you know, you go to France, France doesn't have religious liberty. I mean, there's all sorts of restrictions on religious practices and behavior in France. And and you you sort of think, well, you know, we're just like the rest of the, of the world. Well, in, in Canada, they you can be thrown in jail as a, as a pastor for for hate speech. It, it is unusual for us. Uh, for for a society to have the kind of religious liberty that we have, and for Christians to be able to practice their faith the way they do, and 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 we have that because we have enshrined in the Constitution, and we have had governments that have 
have supported that right. Uh, and and we have to elect people who support that. And increasingly, we have one side, unfortunately, one side of the aisle who is increasingly hostile to religious liberty. Look at just the election uh, of the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. Uh, you have seen a just a cascade of of just shock and horror that he dare say that his life is directed by the Bible. I mean that that it's it's like he's out of a of another century. It's it, they they're appalled by it. They they castigate him. These are the people that are on the ballot. Uh, these are folks who who don't want uh, biblical worldviews to be reflected in public policy. And if you have biblical worldview and you uh, as uh, the late Diane Feinstein said, the dogma lies, you know, uh, is deep within you or something like that. Uh, if you actually live your life according to biblical principles, that is that that is not going to be permitted. I mean, that, they, they are being very clear about that. So this is about protecting of your liberty. And even you say, well, we're talking about school board. Well, yeah, actually in school boards, they do that. And they, they tell your kids what they can and can't say in, in school. So it's not just at the federal level, it's every level. Well, I will add something, which is, I just think at the most basic level of our faith, we are called to be beacons of light in the darkness. And part of that is to affect our system of governance. And it seems impossible to me as a Christian and I'm a Jewish Christian, so all the way back to uh, the Hebrew Bible. And the Hebrew Bible in the period of Judges, which is the most prosperous period in the history of the Israelites, they chose rulers, judges, from among themselves. And so if you look at the way that God sets up government, God expects us. He, he told the Israelites, this is the way I want it. I'm not going to choose your rulers. I want you to choose rulers from among yourselves. So it seems to me a fundamental precept that we're supposed to participate in our own governance. Uh, and I think as Christians, and this is something as a newer Christian, I've been a believer for 10 years, that's really shocked me, is the number of Christians that think that politics and religion don't mix. I've really struggled to understand that. I say jokingly when, and people do say that to me, you know, you shouldn't mix your faith and your and your politics. I say, well, point that out to me in scripture. I'm looking for it. <laughs> I've spent 10 years looking for it now. I haven't found that verse or any verse that even remotely says something like that. We're supposed to go out there from my perspective and be taking territory for Jesus every single day, living our lives, as Rick said, according to biblical precepts. Well, that means living political lives according to biblical precepts. And why would we want to abandon our society to people who have a worldview that is not reflecting a biblical worldview. Our job is to go and get into the arena and fight the fight on behalf of a biblical worldview. That's right. And, you know, in Proverbs, I looked the scripture up this morning. Um, it says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. So, you know, you have it right there. It's, you know, exactly what you can expect to see happen in a nation based on who is in power. So um, that should give us enough reason right there as people of faith and also as people who love our neighbors and care, you know, what happens to those in our community, state and nation. We should be super concerned about voting and putting the righteous in, in office. Yep. Here's here's the shocking thing is that if you look at uh, people who actually do vote based upon religious, uh, you know, and, and you look at their religiosity, 
what you find is that uh, secular folks vote in higher percentages than folks of faith, uh, mm. that there are large numbers of people who are uh, believers who don't believe it's their responsibility to vote. In some cases, they're adamantly against voting or just don't think it's important. Uh, and as a result, you know, we we see people elected who don't reflect the values of the country as a whole because a big chunk of the country, uh, Christians specifically, uh, choose not to vote. And uh, if you look at this election in particular, this is a what's considered an off-year election. It's a non-presidential election. It's not a congressional election. These are basically in, in states like Virginia and, and Kentucky and New Jersey. There are statewide elections. Uh, and elections for the legislature, uh, but in most states, they're county elections or you know uh, some judicial elections or or you know school board and think local elections, uh, and and so a lot of folks just say, well, you know, it's not that important. I don't really need to show up. But that the amazing thing is, this is where one vote, uh, you know, your vote is magnified because in a presidential election, you might get you know 60, 70 percent of the people who are eligible to vote, go ahead and vote. In these elections, it could be as low as 20%. What does that mean? That means your vote is three times more powerful than it is during a presidential election. Your your vote matters that much more. And, yeah. and so, uh, so to the extent that you can recognize you know, uh, you know, the, 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 the reality of how these races affect your life and then at least motivate yourself, we're gonna talk about this, all the different ways in which you can now vote. It's its pretty easy. You don't have to uh, just vote on election day. There's plenty of opportunities for you to vote and you should take advantage of them. Yeah, and you know, Rick, you make a great point. Here in my home state of Virginia, which does have state legislative elections next week, um, we have in recent elections had votes decided by a coin toss, literally, because it was tied. So if you're sitting there and you think, well, you know, so many people, my vote doesn't really matter. Your vote matters and you need to go to the polls. Okay. Now I want to talk some about the nuts and bolts of voting because I think elections have become a lot more complicated just in the past decade or so. And I mean that in a couple of ways. First of all, Voter identification has become a hot button issue in politics. Conservatives tend to favor requirements like providing a photo ID in order to vote. The left tends to oppose those uh, requirements and even claim that those policies are based on some nefarious intent to keep certain populations from voting. So I want to just ask you, give it to me straight. What's behind this debate over voter ID and are efforts to impose voter ID requirements legitimate or are they nefarious? Uh, Mark, you want to take that one first? Yeah, I'll start with that one for sure. They are nefarious, but I do. And because they intend uh, to allow fraud, obviously, if you don't have to show ID to vote, it increases the potential for fraud. But I want to push back a little bit. When polled, the American people, broadly speaking, across partisan lines are in favor of voter ID laws. There really aren't that many people out there that think that it is unreasonable or suspicious or in any way racist or nefarious in any way to have to show uh, voter IDs. These are what I would describe as people high up on the left who I, I think it's evidence that they intend to create voter fraud. 
We've literally, I've spent time looking at this, Rita. We have never seen anybody testify under oath anywhere in the history of the United States that they were deprived of the right to vote because they couldn't get an ID. It doesn't exist. There's a lot of videographers that have gone into the inner city where the left claims, people on the left will claim that uh, if people can't get IDs and they ask people, do you know where the DMV is? Do you have an ID? Do you know how to get an ID? Uh, and they'll tell these people, hey, people say that you, you're not capable of getting an ID and people get offended. It's such a baseline expectation in our society that people have IDs, that the idea that you can't figure out how to get an ID is considered offensive by everybody across racial lines, across uh, income lines, across geographic lines. So this is false. It's a false narrative pushed by people at the top of the left to enable voter fraud schemes, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I would throw on top of that, that first off, uh, 99% of Americans have, have IDs. Uh, you can't get on an airplane. You can't buy liquor. You can't get cold medications uh, with, without uh, a, a, some sort of identification. It is, uh, it's sort of remarkable uh, that, that you'd say, well, then why are they doing this? And you say, well, and Mark's right, voter fraud is certainly part of it. But it's also to play, uh, it's the race card. It is, it is the intersectionality card. It's, the, it's, it's this condescending view that the elites have that, uh, that minorities are incapable of, 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 of doing the basic things in life to be able to survive. And they need this paternalistic uh, uh, state to, uh, to protect them and to, and to protect their rights. And if you are uh, for uh, requiring identification, you're a racist. Uh, you're someone who's, or you're someone who's against the poor. And so it's, it, every, every issue is bound up in this, uh, this, this attempt to divide America among ethnic and racial lines and among class lines. And that is, that is the modern left. Yeah. And, and I would agree with you. That's why I've always found it so, you know, baffling is because I think that idea, like you both just expressed that, you know, someone who's poor or someone who is of a minority race can't get or bring with them an ID. That's really insulting. That I, I just, it, it baffles me that people can even stand for it. Okay. The other issue in terms of elections being more complicated today than they were 10 years ago is that there are multiple ways to vote. And I'm going to confess, I'm an old fashioned girl. I like to go in person to vote on election day, but I have a lot of friends who tell me that I'm doing it wrong, that that is not <laughs> the way I should be voting. So talk about absentee voting, early voting, mail-in ballots. I promise I won't be offended if you tell me I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll start with that. I'm a lot like you. I'm a traditionalist. I like to vote on voting day. People complain about lines. It's, I hate lines. I actually like to stand in line on voting day. It makes me feel good to be there with my fellow citizens, exercising my franchise, my right to vote. Uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy the sense of community. However, I'm changing my behavior. And I'm changing my behavior because I think it changes elections. And one, I can tell you, I'm embarrassed to admit, there have been a couple of times in recent years when I haven't voted because I planned on voting on, on voting day and then I ended up being out of town. 
in my schedule, sometimes I get called out of town at the last minute. <clears throat> Early voting was over and I'm out of town and I didn't end up being able to vote. So I really hate that. So for me, and I think this is true for a lot of people, it's not just people who travel. Well, what happens if your kid is homesick, right? And suddenly you're housebound or there's a family emergency of some other kind, or you get called into work and you don't expect to be in work. There's all kinds of reasons you could end up not voting. And that means that people who vote early have an advantage over you. So I am now taken to early voting. I generally still personally don't vote by email. I go into the polling place and vote early. Uh, and frankly, that's something I'm, I'll probably be doing uh, by the time people watch this show, I will have voted. Uh, here in Texas, we've got some constitutional amendments on the ballot and I will have gone in early and voted. I, in fact, have already voted. Uh, I did. I did exactly that. Uh, we have we have an election coming up in uh, you know a couple of weeks and a week, I guess, and uh, and I, I voted. Uh, I think a little over a week ago, and I, early voting. And just understand, early voting uh, when you when you hear that term, that's in person voting. Okay, so you're you actually go to a, a designated polling place, uh, and this was you know one of the county offices. And uh, I stood in line with other people. In fact, it, it was a fairly long line when I went there. I went around lunchtime, and there was a, quite a line. And stood in line and voted, and got a chance to chat with my, you know, folks. I do like going to the polls, and I, I think that's a it's a great civic thing to do. So I I, I now early vote. And no matter what you think about mail-in voting, uh, uh, absentee voting. Uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with early voting. It is the same thing. It's just you you go to a polling place, uh, not on election day, but you go early. Um, so there shouldn't be any qualms uh, from anybody about early about early voting. As far as absentee voting or, or, or general mail-in ballots, as you know, there's several states that just do mail-in ballots. Uh, they don't. They don't. Uh, they don't even allow you to go to the polling places. I think Washington is one of them. There are others. Uh, and and I have real problems with that. I think there should be a civic responsibility to go to the polls. I think election days are good things, and and uh, and and having having people uh, you know vote in person you know reduces the amount or opportunity for fraud. Uh, is it is it dangerous to vote? And dangerous as far as your your ballot being counted by voting uh, by mail? Uh, no, it, it really isn't. I mean, there are every state has very uh, has a variety of different procedures that uh, are re require uh, you know that are required when you when you use a mail in ballot uh, to protect the integrity of that vote. Um, that doesn't mean that people can't use mail in ballots, particularly states like California and and. And Washington that allow ballot harvesting and and everybody gets a ballot, everybody gets a ballot mailed to them, that there can't be problems there. But as far as your personal ballot and you voting and having your vote counted, I, I would have very little concern that your vote would not be counted. That's good to know. Now, important question for me and maybe others like me. If you vote early, Rick, do you still get a sticker? I did. I, I okay. It, it's still upstairs. <laughs> I got a sticker. The sticker is important to me, and I don't. Maybe this is silly, but I do actually like wearing my sticker around the rest of the day because I think it can remind other people, you know, in an off-year election, especially that hey, you need to go vote. There's an election going on. You know, I always grew up hearing about military personnel primarily voting absentee, which always made sense, but it seems like absentee voting, mail-in ballots, 
that practice has really been widely expanded. And Rick, I didn't even realize that in some states you have to vote that way. I had had no idea that was the case. So did did all of this get expanded because of COVID or some other reason? Why now is this the the big thing in some places? Uh, like like I, I mentioned earlier, there are some states that <clears throat> only have mail-in ballot that you can't go to a voting, voting place. Uh, the first one that I recall was the state of Washington, where where it's completely mail-in. But there are there are now others, and um, and why? Uh, <laughs> you know, my sense is is because it's easier to cheat, uh, and because mm-hmm. all of these states that have done it are left-wing states. They're hard left states. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it gives them the opportunity that, you know, on, on election day, for example, in Washington, um, you have no idea who won the election unless someone wins by a very big margin. Usually only about 50 percent of the vote is counted by the next morning. And then it takes weeks, literally weeks for them to count the ballots. And of course, you know, that creates tremendous opportunity for, for a lot of monkey business to, to happen. And uh, we saw it in the state of Washington. There was a candidate, I remember his name was Dino Rossi and Dino ran for governor and um, he was ahead. He was ahead all, all, all the time and they counted it. And then they kept finding ballots. Uh, oddly enough, they kept finding ballots and eventually they found enough ballots for him to lose. Uh, and this happens, uh, this happens with, uh, you know, with, these, with this type of system. So uh, I, I think there is uh, a, a lot of concern about uh, completely mail-in ballots. Um, and and that's why you know I, I like to vote in person. But again, with respect to the integrity of the ballot that you actually cast, I have no concern about it. What I have concern about is what what the other side does to increase the number of people that are, or leave the number of people through harvesting and other other means, or by fraudulently filling out ballots and and mailing them in for other people. Those are the things that I'm most concerned about, not whether your vote is actually counted. Now. Mark, I, I want you to tell our listeners about ballot harvesting because we, you know, I've heard people talk about, well, there's illegal ballot harvesting and then there's legal ballot harvesting. What is ballot harvesting? Yeah, so generally speaking, ballot harvesting refers to the process where one person goes out and collects somebody else's ballot. Uh, technically, theoretically, the person whose ballot is being collected has filled out and signed that ballot for themselves. Uh, but this is the problem. You run into the situation where maybe that person didn't fill out that ballot. I'll give you a, a very specific example. If ballot harvesting is legal in a state where, for example, I can collect as many ballots as I want and turn them in for other people, I can literally go to an apartment building where they drop off a bunch of ballots. Those ballots are dropped off, by the way, generally outside the mailboxes. I can pick up those ballots. I could fill them out myself. I can if, if they require a signature, I can fake a signature on them. Signature verification is terrible in most states. And then I can go turn in all those ballots legally. And so that's legal ballot harvesting. It's also done uh, widely in uh, mental care facilities, nursing care facilities, where people may not be cogent to cast a ballot. They wouldn't otherwise cast a ballot, but people will go into those facilities and exert undue influence on people in the facilities. Might even be Somebody who works in the facility is a caregiver. Uh, Let's say they're a caregiver on the left and they collect ballots from 30 patients in that facility, 30 residents of the facility, maybe 25 of them are not cogent and are not capable of making the decision to vote. They do it on their behalf and get those ballots signed and drop them off on their own. So there's a chance for massive. Yeah, go ahead, Rick. Yeah, 
that's not legal. I mean, you said it's legal ballot harvesting. It's it's legal for 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 them in these Correct. states to turn in more than their own ballot. It is not legal for them in these states to fill out those ballots for somebody else uh, for any reason. But, That's but correct. It, yep. it's easier to do because you're allowed to collect the ballots and how you do it is, unless you can find evidence to, to uh, that, like signatures and other things, uh, unless you can find evidence, then they can get away with it. And right. as opposed to illegal ballot harvesting, in some states you're not allowed to collect those ballots and therefore it makes it even harder uh it makes it easier for you to 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 uh to prosecute someone for doing what what is illegal in all state which is illegally filling out ballots and saying them in but if you're allowed to to submit more more than your own ballot it just makes it easier to do that than states where you can't do that does that make yeah, sense yeah no i appreciate the clarification so in states where you can't turn in multiple ballots Doing that kind of fraud, committing that kind of large scale fraud is very, very difficult. It's much more mm -hmm. difficult in states where you can have an armful of ballots that you can turn in. Very hard to catch people for the illegal forms of ballot harvesting. So I think ballot harvesting, again, is a scheme by the left. You don't see it promoted by the right. It's a scheme by the left to create room for fraud in an election system. Okay, now we're very quickly running out of time, but the other issue that we have to talk about in terms of voting is, you know, this fact that people are still talking about voter fraud in the last presidential election. So I just want to hear your perspective on that. Is it warranted? Should we still be talking about that? What do we need to, to know and how, if at all, should that affect our attitude about elections moving forward. Rick, I'll let you go first on this one. Uh, you know, my sense is that looking at what happened in the last election and, uh, well, actually a couple elections ago now, because we had a 2022 election in between, uh, is fruitful in the sense that examining what happened, uh, and, and we've seen many state legislatures actually move forward with amendments to their election laws, uh, to take care of some of the issues that were brought up with the 2020 election. And so there has been a response. I mean, people say, oh, you know, it's the same thing. Well, actually, it's not. And you don't, you really didn't see a whole lot of questions or concerns about the 2022 election about about voter fraud. I mean, it was it was pretty muted uh, and and everyone felt like it was a it was a better election. Why? Because the state legislatures responded, number one. And number two, and this is really important, that average voters, conservatives actually uh, started manning polls and making and having eyes on. I mean, you know, it, you know evil prospers in darkness and and as, if you tr if you shine a light in on it, and you have people at these polling places, and you have people you know uh, present where they're counting votes, and and you're monitoring the situation actively, uh, the these types of things uh, tend to be uh, less likely to happen. Yeah. Now, because we're about out of time, gentlemen, I want to make sure we cover this last question. And Mark, I'll let you go first on this one. We talked about why our faith should compel us to vote. So as we close, I want to ask you how our faith should inform the way we vote. Yeah, I think it should, our faith should inform everything about our lives. Uh, if you're a Christian, you're a Christian in every aspect of your life. Again, there's no scripture that says, be a Christian here and not there, walk your faith here and not there. So it should inform how we vote. And that means that we should judge the candidates through the lens of our faith. 
it's important also that I, I make a little clarification there. None of us are perfect and you're never going to find the perfect candidate. Uh, Jesus Christ is not on the ballot personally anywhere. And what that means is you're going to end up voting for people who are sinful and flawed and uh, who have character defects that you don't like and, and that you wouldn't want to see necessarily as your pastor or, or your spouse, or maybe even as a friend, but you end up in an election and you generally have a, in at least in a general election, you have a binary choice. And so I would apply your Christian value set to that binary choice and vote the person that supports a biblical worldview. That's, that would be my perspective on how to vote. Mark, or sorry, Rick, what would you add to that? Yeah, I would say that you have a responsibility to uh, not just vote, but to learn about the people that you're voting for. And it's not hard. I mean, there's this thing uh, called the Internet. And uh, there's I know some people, you know, know about it. And if you do, there's all sorts of information uh, you can you can get uh, very easily. You're probably mailed a sample ballot. You're probably mailed. You're probably getting mails from from these candidates. Uh, look them up and 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 you know look at their positions. And uh, it's not hard. It's not hard to find. It takes a few minutes. And um, you know, in some cases, like in in the state of Virginia, the, you know, the, some of these local elections they're nonpartisan. So it's you may not even know who the who the candidate is that. You know, it's it's easy uh, for me as someone who's a Republican who uh, who who generally believes that generally Republicans hold more biblical worldview opinions than than the than the left and the Democrats do. And so, when all things being equal, if I don't know about the candidate, then I'll you know, I'll, I'll vote for the Republican. Uh, but that's not always the case. I mean, I I, I you know it, it almost always the case, but not always. And in a nonpartisan election, you don't know who the Republican or Democrat is. So it it really is important to take a little time. And, uh, and and find out what these candidates believe uh, before you go in and vote. Rick, Mark, thank you for joining us today and sharing your perspective on the importance of voting and all things Election Day related. And as I close, I do want to just remind our audience, don't forget to be praying over this election and its outcome. Pray and then make sure you go vote too. I want to thank our generous sponsors at Blue Ridge Chimney Services, Blessings Christian Bookstore, Sunshine Ministries with Christian Radio, Wishing Well Florists and Travel Services, and our friends at New Beginnings Church and Garber's Church of the Brethren in Harrisonburg. Thanks everyone for listening. And if you'd like to make a donation to help keep Crossroads on the air, you can do so by check to Crossroads at P.O. Box 881, Harrisonburg, Virginia, 22803. I'm Rita Peters, inviting you to join us again next week for another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads podcast. To learn more about Convention of States, go to conventionofstates.com. 